Hey there, this is AJ. I'm so glad you've joined us today on Faith for My Generation podcast. I want to remind you that our vision is to shake and shape a generation with the power of God's Word, and our mission is to create a resource of teachings that build strong faith in God. You know, that really is my prayer, that as you hear this message today, that the power of God's Word, anointed by the Holy Spirit, will stir up your most holy faith in Him so that you can be a light and a witness and a testimony of the living God in this earth. I pray that this message will richly bless you and increase you in spirit, soul, and in body. Now, let's get to the message. Hindrances to answered prayer. Uh, Good on that? I think I'm good on my side. Yeah, you good? You get a meter read? All right. Hindrances to answered prayer. You know, the point of praying is to get an answer, right? No one wants to pray and not get an answer. No one wants to pray and just waste time. I certainly don't. If I'm going to pray and spend time in prayer, I want to encounter God, and I want to get an answer to what I'm praying for. And the Bible clearly shows us that answered prayer is a covenant right. 1 John 15, 14. Um, 1 John 5, verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we have what we've asked of Him. That's the promise that we have. That's the covenant right that we have with God. You know, Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, and I will answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things. So that's where we're positioning ourselves as believers. That when we pray to our Father, He hears us and He answers. And if there is anything that can stop prayer, we want to move those things out of the way. Earlier today at lunchtime, I talked about hurdles to answered prayer. And I believe you ran track, right, Greg, in, in high school. You didn't do the hurdle, though, did you? Now, but though you've seen that race plenty of times, right? And what is a hurdle? It's something to jump over, right? Or you can't run around them. You've got to get over them. Well, it's the same idea of this hindrance. And we're going to see what a hindrance is. But, you know, if you were to run a straight line down a track and there's nothing in between, no hurdles, you can run a lot faster than you can if you have to jump over each one of those hurdles, especially me. I'm going to have to swing one leg over each, t- each hurdle as I go down the track. But I want us to look. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 is where we start. Throwing off hindrances. So if there is any hindrances, let's get them out of the way so we can have a clear route to God. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, notice this, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The previous chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 talks about all these mighty men and women of faith and all the great exploits they did by believing in God. And it's encouraging us here that we're part of this hero and hall of fame of faith if we lay aside every weight and sin. So notice that. The Bible instructs us, the first point, to lay aside weights and sin so we can run with endurance. That's what we want to do. We want to run with endurance. We want to run speedily. There you go, Miss Helen. We want to run quickly. We don't want to be bogged down. Imagine that. You know, there is, you've ever seen the Olympic runners or high school runners or collegiate runners. There's no rule 
that says they can't have a backpack with 30 pounds on their back. They could wear a, a, a weighted vest if they wanted, but who would? Why make yourself heavier in order to run a race? You want to make yourself lighter. You want to make yourself quicker, right? And the Bible instructs us that there are some things that can weigh us down or become a hindrance that will cause us, stop us from running the race set before us. And so I want us to look at some of these hindrances to answered prayer. Now the first one you can see there is plainly written is sin. Isaiah 59. Let's look at Isaiah 59. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 and 2. There's a lot going on in the entire book of Isaiah. And the ministry that the prophet Isaiah had was a long, vast ministry over several kings, speaking both to Israel and Judah during a time of judgment in both of those nations. At that point, of course, there was a division in the kingdom of Israel because of sin. And here they are, after hundreds of years of powerful prophets, anointed by the Holy Spirit, to tell them, hey, look, you need to change your way, Israel. You need to change your way. The way you're going is going to lead to destruction. But they have found themselves coming to the end of this time of grace and judgment's coming. And the Lord speaks through Isaiah and makes this point in Isaiah 51 verse, 59 verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. So in other words, Isaiah's telling the people, hey, God's not at fault here. It's not that he can't reach out and get you. It's not that he can't hear. He's not grown deaf. But verse 2 tells us what's happened. But your iniquities have separated you from God, and your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. Now notice that. Sin prevents God from hearing our prayers. They were at a place where they're continuing. They want to live like life is just normal. They want to continue just going about, hey, you know, we're, we're the blessed, we're the chosen, we're Israel, we're the chosen people, we're Judah. We're, our throne that God has promised to David will live on forever eternally. But the problem is God made a covenant with them. And that's based on a big, big, real massive word. It's two letters, if. And you find that if all through the Bible. And it means it's conditional. And God said, if you'll follow my commands, if you'll stay in my paths, if you'll obey what I tell you to do and how to live, then I'll answer and hear your prayers. But they had put themselves in a place of sin and iniquity where his face was hidden from them, the chosen people. His ears would not hear, not because they, his ears didn't work anymore. They had put themselves in a place not to be heard of God. David makes this point, Psalm 66, right below that, you see that next one, Psalms chapter 66. Psalm 66, this is a powerful prayer promise that you can, I, I would, you know, pray it in my, in my prayer time. This would be a, a great one to add to prayer time when you're praying, you know, coming forth with the Lord, Psalm 66, and we're going to look at 16 through 20. Psalm 66. Verse 16, we're going to look at all verses from 16 to 20. Notice it says, Come and hear all you who fear God, well, that's us, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. Verse 17, 
I cried to him with my mouth. And he was extolled, or, you know, he heard me. He received my prayer. He, uh, he was extolled. He was praised with my tongue. Verse 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But notice this, David, Old Covenant, verse 19, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, verse 20, who has not turned away from my prayer, nor his mercy from me. David was at a place in his prayer life where he could stand before the Lord and he could say, you know what, I've not regarded iniquity. I've not hidden a, a sin in my heart. It's not that David was perfect. We can look at the life of David, right? Uh, among many things he did right, what he did wrong, uh, he didn't go to war at the time of war when it was time for the kings to go to war. He stayed at home and didn't do what he was supposed to do and purpose to do. And because of that, he was at the wrong place at the wrong time, and he sees Bathsheba, another man's wife, bathing on the top of the roof, and so he conspires to adultery and then to murder, and then the child that, takes, that is born from that uh, wrong uh, conception is then, then dies. Now, obviously, it, it wasn't because David's standing here, well, I don't regard iniquity. I, God's heard me because I don't regard iniquity in my heart. It's not that he's perfect. It's that when he committed sin, he was extremely quick to repent. After those things transpired and those very, I mean, just terrible things, one of the, the man he killed, Uriah, was one of his mighty men that was with him from the beginning. Uh, I mean, just a tragedy. A, a close man that would have given his life for him, for his king. Yeah, he took him, took him out blinded by deception. So it's not that he was a perfect man, but it's when the prophet Nathan came to him and said, look, this is wrong. He said, you know what? And it's in Psalms 51 is his prayer of repentance. He said, oh, Lord, against you alone have I sinned. And then that's when he praised that prayer that we've turned into a song. Create in me a clean heart, right? Prepare in me a sanctuary. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. So it's not that we're perfect, but it's that we refuse to allow sin to take root in our heart. And that's, that's how sin works, right? You don't just wake up one day and have become this depraved sinner. Sin comes as a seed form in temptation. And if it takes root, it grows, just like faith does. It's the, it's the exact opposite. It takes root, and over time it grows and, and transpires into something much bigger than you ever want it to be, right? Sin makes you pay a cost higher than you ever wanted to pay, keeps you longer than you wanted to stay, and takes you further than you ever wanted to go. So that second one under sin, if I regard iniquity, you probably already have it at this point, in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But the good news is, we have the Holy Spirit that empowers us to live free from sin. That empowers us to live holy, empowers us to live clean. And, and we have that promise, 1 John 1, 9. You know, not just to leave us there on, well, if you sin, the Lord won't hear you. 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of our sin and unrighteousness when we confess, when we repent, right? So if, we, if there is something in that time of prayer, we're going to see this in a minute. When we go before the Lord in prayer, if there's something that we hear or if there's something that the Lord exposes in our heart, I mean, immediately. Be quick. Be quick to repent. Quick to repent. All right, the second hindrance to fear, or to answered prayer, is fear. 1 John 4. 1 John 4, and I have verse 18. That's where the answers are found. But let's read verse 17 through 19. It gives us the whole picture. 1 John chapter 4. 
verse 17 through 19. Verse 17 says, Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, Jesus, so are we in this world. That right there, I mean, that's a powerful revelation. As he is, so are we in this world. You know, as Christians, it's just a side note, but as Christians, we stand as ambassadors to God on this earth. We are his representatives on the earth. Uh, He's empowered us to be his voice. He's empowered us to be his hands, his feet, his eyes, to see and have compassion, to reach out and help, to lay hands on the sick, to pray with people, to build his church. As he is, so are we in this world. Now notice this, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment but he who fears has not been made perfect in love verse 19 we love him because he first loved us now notice this under the point of fear the hindrance of fear we have some answers to fill in there is no fear in love but perfect love cast out fear because fear involves torment. Well, obviously, we're not reserved for torment. We're children of God. We've been made new creations. The blood of Christ has cleansed us. We have nothing to be afraid of in the day of judgment. Verse 17 told us that. We can have boldness in the day of judgment. We can stand before the Lord free and clear. We don't have to stand before God in fear. And you know, that's the thing. If you go to the Lord in, in prayer, or if you're afraid to go to God in prayer, well, then that, that's a hindrance from you to having a strong prayer life. If you're afraid to be before the Lord, if you're afraid, well, I'm afraid what God might say. What could God say that would not be for our good and perfecting? Anything the Lord's going to speak to us, it's going to be the best, good, perfect thing there is. James 1.17 tells us that, that God gives us every good gift, every perfect gift. So to have fear actually prevents you from entering into that secret place where the Lord is found. I put the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, frees us from fear. Love is a freeing power, frees us from fear. We don't have to walk in fear. You know, the Bible tells us that, right? We have a spirit of power and love and sound mind, not a spirit of fear. But you can see that in our world. So much of the things of our world, so many decisions in our world are made out of fear. People react out of fear, and it causes terrible things, wars, famines, all through fear. Or, you know, last, two, what, two years ago, no, no toilet paper? All out of fear, right? I mean, just think, fear does nothing but brings destruction and torment. But we don't have to fear. That's why we can boldly go before the Lord in prayer. Notice this. We're in First John. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Again, we're just doing a general overview on these things. All these things are deeper topics, but this kind of gives you a good idea of what might be a a hindrance. What what is something that might weigh you down or keep you from running that race set before you? Well, the next one we see, the next hindrance to answered prayer is guilt. Romans 8 chapter chapter 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Right there, that first fill in the blank on under guilt, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you don't have to feel bad. The, you know, you think about it. The book of 1 Thessalonians says that we as believers, and this is a good point to remember when, you know, there's some Christians, they don't believe in a rapture of the church. But the rapture of the church, pr- before tribulation, a pre-tribulation rapture is scriptural. Because the Bible tells us that we, as children of God, are not stored up for wrath. We're not reserved for the wrath of God. And that's what the tribulation is. You know, some people might say, what do you think the tribulation's happening right now with all the craziness going on in the world? No, that's just the effects of sin. You've not even seen bad until you begin to read through in Revelation and see what the tribulation is. Because what's happening now is the consequence of sin. What happens during the tribulation is God's wrath being poured out on the unrighteous. But we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to feel that we are under the weight of condemnation or judgment. Because we've already been judged. We've been judged at Calvary. When we believed on Jesus, our sins were judged. We were judged at Calvary. Not for what we've done, but because of our faith in Christ. And God, our Father, who is the righteous judge, he hit the gavel and he said, not guilty. Not guilty. He looked at you and said, not guilty, because the blood of Jesus has washed us clean from the sin that was in our life before we came to Christ. And that brings us to this second point here. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death. We're free from sin, which takes you back to that first point. You know, we don't have to have sin in our lives to hinder us from God hearing our prayers because we're free from sin. We've been set free from the bondage of sin. Uh, the, the child of God doesn't ha- isn't, isn't like the sinner who's being pulled back to the th- very things they may hate, but they have no power over it. We have power over sin. And we've been freed from death. When we die, we don't die a normal death. For us, it's just moving. We're just changing addresses. We're just, if we go the way of the grave, if the rapture doesn't take place and we go the way of the grave to meet Jesus, we will just set our body in a grave for a time, and our spirit and soul will go to the Father. And we'll come back and we'll make a pit stop and we'll pick up that body and that body will get changed and made brand new. But we, we're not, we don't have to be fearful of death. We don't have to be fearful of death. And we don't have to have guilt. We don't have to feel guilty when we stand in the presence of God. You know, if you've made yourself right and you're praying to the Lord and you're in prayer, you don't have to feel guilty. Now, if the Lord, you know, conviction of the Holy Spirit's one thing. But the Holy Spirit, when He convicts, He's going to give you instruction to make a change and empower you to do it. That's much different than, I don't know why God would ever want to answer my prayer. I've done so many bad things. God doesn't remember them. He, He actually forgives and forgets. Right? We have to practice forgiving and forgetting. But God, when He forgives, He takes it and removes it from you as far as the east is from the west. In other words, never to meet again. And He has no remembrance of that. He makes a point never to remember it again. So it would be useless for us to bring up our past to the Lord. He doesn't even remember it. 
nor will he choose to. Okay. This next hindrance to answered prayer kind of goes in line with that, but from a different standpoint. Feelings of inferiority. Now, we're going to see this in Ephesians 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I realize y'all are probably doing a little bit more flipping tonight as we're kind of just hitting some general overview of some of these things as opposed to staying in one book and going from back and forth from there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Feelings of inferiority. Verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's our Father. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he noticed this, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us, here it is, accepted in the beloved. Right under that heading of feelings of inferiority, you see the sentence that we fill in. In Christ, by his blood, we have been chosen and made acceptable. In Christ, we have been chosen and made acceptable. Now think about that. How could I feel less than? How could I be in the, in the presence of God and allow, whether it's unrenewed parts of my thinking or some stupid lie of Satan that he's trying to drop in my mind, how could I allow myself to feel less than? Not, not, we're not talking about being humble, but true Bible spirit humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's keeping yourself in an appropriate lens, understanding who you are, right? But feelings of inferiority, Satan will want to make you think, well, who are you to think you could ask that of God? Who are you that you think you could go before the Lord and pray that big prayer? Don't you understand other people who are probably trying to do other things? More important what you're doing, they're praying prayers too. Who are you? As if, you know, God can only answer so many prayers in a day. But Satan, he'll, he'll lie to you. And if there's an unrenewed part of your mind, that, that, might, that tries to flash a wrong idea. We don't have to ever feel less than in God's presence. God picked you out. God chose you. And by the blood of Jesus, he's made you acceptable. He is, he's brought you into his family. You know, that's, that's a powerful understanding of the New Testament as a Christian in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, they had the privilege of being servants to God. Or Abraham was a friend of God. And we serve God, of course, and we can be friends with God, but we're children. You know, that, that's a, just a whole different level. A servant is someone you can trust that gets to work with the master. That's good. A friend gets to come over and enjoy and maybe come over for dinner, hang out, have a closer relationship than the servant. But a son, a daughter, lives with the father, enjoys relationship in a deeper level of intimacy than a friend and a servant. So that's who we are. We're not someone that has to feel less than in the presence of God. He's made us able to enter into his presence. All right. This next point as we move right along. Next hindrance to answered prayer 
is doubt. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James 1, beginning at verse 5. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now, before we move in to this next part, notice that. You know, it's, the Lord is better than Google. Amen? Right? You can go on Google and find out anything. Or you can go on YouTube and you can learn how to fix anything, how to make anything. Someone's done it on YouTube, right? They may even have a whole channel with 100 videos on how to do things. Uh, you know, I play guitar, obviously you all know that. But uh, on YouTube, you can find people, they'll teach you how to play any song, any style. They'll teach you how to work on guitars, fix them, make them, build them, destroy them. I mean, you can find everything on there, right? But how, imagine even the deeper level of knowledge and wisdom that we have access to. The author of wisdom. He who knows everything. Our Father. And if we lack wisdom, all we have to do is ask of Him. We need to just go to Him. And He's not going to give it sparingly. He gives it generously. He'll, he'll give you instruction, not just for today, but your whole life. He'll, he'll give it out, dole it out, all the wisdom you want and more. And notice that, without reproach. He's not going to be mad at you. He's not going to say, what do you got, you know, what business you got coming around here again asking me another, another question? No, 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 no. He's happy to do it. He loves to do it. But notice how we have to ask of him. The next few verses shows us the key to unlock this wisdom that we have available to us. And it's faith which, of course, the opposite is doubt. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith. So if you're going to ask God for wisdom, if you're going to ask God for something, you have to ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. I'm sure we've all been to the beach, right? You sit out on the shore of the beach, sit on the sand, you're looking at the waves. They never stop, right? They're coming in and going out. And coming in and going out. They never stop. They just get higher and lower. But they keep coming in and they go out. They come in, they go out. Verse 7, For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So look right here, under this point, point six of doubt, the doubter will not receive anything from the Lord and is unstable in all his ways. The doubter will not receive anything in the Lord, from the Lord and is unstable in all his ways. Imagine trying to build something right on top of the waves. You just couldn't do it. I mean, you see some of these riggers that they put out where they drill for oil out the coast of Alaska and different places. I mean, it's just a massive feat where they're doing off barges and somehow or another they get down in there and they drop poles and they build these massive platforms out in the ocean. But even then, once they finally get it down in the ground and cement it in there, I guess, whatever they're doing, some special cement they can put underwater, whatever it is, they got it there and they're working on it. Still, if a storm comes, 
they're not hanging out on that rig. They're going to get to the shore as fast as possible because the storm will just push that thing over, uproot it, and move it out of the way. Doubt does the same thing. Doubt in our life can do the same thing. If we're going to go before the Lord, a hindrance to prayer is, well, I hope God answers that prayer. Well, no, if I have the word on it, if I have his will on it, I know the Lord has said, wisdom, well, well, there's a point right there, verse 5. The Lord said he'll give me wisdom if I ask in faith. So there's no reason for me to second guess or offend God. There's no reason for me to offend the Lord and say, oh, I know you said it, Lord, but mm, that three-letter word, but, will get, it, get you in trouble. If the Lord said he'll give it to you, if he's promised it, if he's made it available, if it's available to us by the blood of Jesus, we receive it by faith. Because doubt will cause us to be in a place of instability. You can't build a life being unstable. You're just getting pushed around, left to right, back and forth, in and out of the seashore. And you don't receive anything from God. And that's, that's, the God, that's God's language, is faith. You know, there was, is it Gary Chapman that wrote the five love languages and he talked about different, the way people express love and receive love? And... Uh, which I told, I told Laura, there's a sixth love language, which is guitars. That's how I express and receive love. If you want to love me, just give me a guitar. And, and that's how I ended up with that other guitar a few weeks ago. But anyway, God's love language is faith, right? God's love language is, Lord, I believe what you say. And I'm going to live by it. I'm going to act on it. I'm going to structure my life around it. Because I believe what you say is true, regardless of what my eyes see, my ears hear. But to allow doubt to come in, it just, it just wrecks everything. It just pushes everything out of the way. It shakes everything up. Okay. This next one. Hindrances to answered prayer. Wrong motives. You're in James 1. Look at James 4. James chapter 4, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, wrongly. Notice, that you may spend it on your own pleasures. In the midst of this teaching, verses four, uh, 1 through 6, it's teaching on pride. And it's talking about how powerful pride is in someone's life and how destructive pride is in someone's life. And he ends it up with, you know, God resists the proud. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful because God is an active resistance to the prideful. That word in the Greek, resist the proud, is a military term. It literally means God is at war, has set his face to battle against the pride, prideful. Now, obviously, anyone that picks a fight with God is going to lose. So that's why pride is just so destructive, and we don't ever want to have, you know, ungodly pride in our life. It's, not, it's one thing to be, you know, uh, have respectable work, do something, and be, take pride in, hey, you know, I do this, and I do it well, and I want to do it with excellence. We use pride for that word as well. But what we're talking about here is thinking much more of yourself, right? I'm better than other people. I, I deserve this because of me and who I am. You know, thinking wrongly of yourself. Oh, pride is, you know... I'm going to do it my way because my way is the best, even though it may go against God's word or, you know, truth. But I think this is better. 
God resists the proud, verse 6, but gives grace to the humble. Now, in this teaching on pride, you know, James led by the Holy Spirit, he puts right here in verse 3, oh, by the way, when you go to God in prayer, because you have pride in your heart, you're asking, but he's not answering your prayer. And the reason that he's not answering your prayer is because you're asking wrongly. You think you're going to get something over on God. You're asking amiss so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. You think you're going to hoodwink the Lord. Lord, you know, if, you know, if you did this or brought this into my life, I would do it for thus and so. But in your heart, really, it's for your own lust. It's from your own desires. Now, an important point to make here. The Bible tells us plainly, God will fulfill the desires of our heart. So it's not that all desires are wrong, right? It's not that you can't desire something and God give it to you. He absolutely does and wants you to. But the point is, it's, it's that kingdom first law, Matthew 6, that Jesus told us about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things that you have need of, anything that pertains to life, spirit, soul, body, anything you need, God will add it to your life. But the, the, the agreement that we have with the Lord, the covenant that we have, which is answered prayer, is when I put his will and his kingdom first, when I take care of business with him, then everything else I need and desire, he gives it to me. But if I want to put that out of order and just pray and believe that, well, you know, it's not even really believing, but I'm just going to pray and go to God and get these things for my own self to do whatever and not live in agreement with God, well, he's not going to answer that prayer. That's a totally wrong motive. It's coming to the Lord for the completely wrong reasons. I, I put this, I said, prayer outside the will of God will never be answered. It'll never be. But here's the thing. From one page to the other in the Bible we see I haven't found anything that I don't want and desire that's not in, that I want and desire that's not in the will of God. I mean, everything to have the most wonderful, blessed life you could possibly imagine, even greater, right? Ephesians 3 tells us, even greater than our imagination, God will answer us. It's all found in the Word of God. He's already thought of it all. We can have those things, but we have to have them in the right way, to have the right heart towards God, the right heart towards God. And, and, and with that thought, right below it, the sentence there that we fill in, the Lord knows the intents of my heart in prayer. The Lord knows the intents of your heart in prayer. He knows if my heart is unified, unified. You know, the Bible talks about having the heart has to be single, one, single in eye. The, the, heart, the eyes of your heart have to be single or set on, focused on one thing, the Lord. And the Lord knows, right, if your heart's right before him. No thing can be hidden. Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us that, that the word of God reveals all things. That's why it's so powerful when we read the word of God, when we pray the promises of God, What's powerful about it is as we're reading it, seeing it, hearing it, memorizing it, studying it, it's opening us up, and it's revealing what's in us. It divides between the joint and the marrow, right? It, it discerns between thoughts. It opens us up, and God knows the intent of our heart. You know, he said that. He reminded 
the prophet Samuel when he went to go anoint King David. Well, I mentioned David earlier tonight. When Samuel, the prophet, went to anoint King David to replace King Saul. Um, speaking of wrong motives, King Saul, he goes and he disobeys the Lord in offering a sacrifice. And that's why he, gets, he does several things like that. And he has wrong motives. Well, Lord, I, I know I wasn't supposed to offer the sacrifice. The priest was. But Samuel, he, he wasn't on time. And we were running late. And we had to go to war. And the people were getting afraid. So I went ahead and did it for their sake. Wrong motive. It's still disobedience. Samuel, or Saul goes into war. And Samuel says, the Lord told you, go out here and, and destroy these people. Everything, everything about their population, everything. Goats, cattle, all of it. It's all unclean. Well, Saul doesn't do that. He brings back the best of the goats and the sheep and the cow. And, and he goes right up to Samuel the prophet and says, I, I've done exactly what the Lord's asked. Why do I hear all those cows mooing and all those goats and sheep making noise then, Saul? Oh, well, I reserved them for the sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, it sounds so holy, but it was a wrong motive, right? Well, so David, when he's being anointed by King Samuel, Samuel's looking at all his older brothers, Right? I know one of Jesse's sons is going to be king. And he looks at the oldest, who's strong and strapping young man. I mean, he's the tallest, best looking. Oh, he looks like a king, uh, but he wasn't. And he went right on down the line. And he runs out of sons. And Samuel says, wait a minute. God says one of your sons is going to be king, but none of these boys are king. Do you have any more sons? Oh, by the way, I do. I happen to have one more. You would imagine, you would think if one of your sons is going to be king, you would bring them all in. Because if you're the father of the king, you've pretty much made it at this point. But for whatever reason, David's still out tending the sheep. But he's just a little boy. But when he comes in, God tells Samuel, and I'm getting to this point here, with wrong motives, God knows the intent of the heart. He tells Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the inward heart of man. God looks at what, what the Bible tells us in 1 Peter. He looks at that hidden heart of the man. And when you're before the Lord in prayer, all that's revealed. And that's why we can stand. We can stand boldly before God. And, and you know what? If there's something the Lord highlights in your heart, you think, whew, Lord, get it out of me. Because here I am. I'm open. I can't, I can't hide anything anyway. I mean, it's not like I can cover this up. You see it anyway. So we go before the Lord with right motives, knowing he'll answer our prayer. Let's look at Hebrews 12. One book over. You're in James, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. This next hindrance to answered prayer, right? Not just praying. You could pray with all these things in your heart. It would not be wise. You would get no prayers answered, right? But you can do the act of praying with any of this in your heart or your life. Anyone can. But we're talking about getting results with God. Now notice this. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. Got to go one page over. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. Looking carefully, you know, being careful about your soul, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. 
under that point of the bullet point of bitterness I have, we pursue peace and holiness so that bitterness does not take root in our hearts. We pursue peace and holiness so that bitterness does not take root in our hearts. If, if bitterness can take root in our hearts, what is the harvest that it will bring? Verse 15, any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. You don't want trouble? Don't keep bitterness in your heart. Don't be bitter towards someone. <laughs> it ain't, it's just not worth it. And, you know, I pray we're, we're going to get... Bitterness can kind of be connected to unforgiveness, but, you know, in the model prayer that Jesus teaches to the disciples in Matthew 6, we probably know it by heart, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And then he says, forgive us as we forgive Forgive us our debts or trespasses, depending on what translation you, you know, grew up reading, memorizing. But forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. You know, and I'll rehearse that before the Lord in prayer all the time. Because I, I realize, you know, I'm not perfect. I'm being perfected, but I've not arrived. We're all being perfected by the Holy Spirit. But I realize there's still that flesh that wars against the things of God, the Spirit. I say, Lord, I hold no one captive through offense. Lord, I don't want to have any bitterness in my heart. Regardless of whether so-and-so did do something wrong toward me, it may have been doggone wrong. I mean, just as wrong as wrong could be. And they shouldn't have. But I refuse to hold them captive in my heart through offense, through bitterness, or what we'll see in just a minute, unforgiveness. Because I don't want trouble. I don't want bitterness to take root in my heart and then bring about a crop of trouble in my life. Or become defiled. Become, come to a place where I don't get to interact with God. That word defiled, you know, it goes back to in the Old Testament understanding. Only certain people could go before the Lord. And they could only go before God in the tabernacle if they would have done this ceremonial cleansing. Well, we don't want to be unclean and not go before the Lord, because the verse right before us, verse 14 tells us, without holiness, without being clean, no one sees the Lord. And I want to see the Lord. I want to see the Lord in heaven, but I want to see the Lord every day. I want to see the Lord in my prayer. I want to see in my prayer time, in my life, in my marriage, in the lives of my children, in, in this church. I want to see the things of God. But bitterness keeps us from that. It's a barrier that doesn't have to be there. Now, I've kind of alluded to this, but the next one is unforgiveness. Mark 11. Mark 11, you have verses 25 and 26, but I actually want to read the verse right before it, verse 24. Uh, Mark 11, starting at verse 24. And Mark 11, 24, hey, commit that to memory. Say it back to the Lord. Bring it before His remembrance as He commanded us to do in prayer. Notice this, Mark 11, 24. Powerful, wonderful. Fantastic prayer promise. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask, truly, whatever you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now immediately after that, what does Jesus teach us? And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. 
Verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. So right under this point of unforgiveness, this hindrance of unforgiveness, I wrote, if while we are praying, oh, well, that should be to the Lord, sorry. If while we are praying to the Lord, oh, I'm sorry, no, it's not. If while we are praying, the Lord convicts us of unforgiveness, we are to forgive quickly. Verse 25, if, any, if you have anything against anyone, well, yeah, Lord, but you don't, you don't realize who they are. No, 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 no. That doesn't get away with God, right? <laughs> that doesn't fly by with the Lord. Anyone. Jesus forgave, is willing to forgive all because Jesus shed his blood for all. The very people that put him on the cross physically, he prays, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they've done. Forgive them. As he's dying, he's forgiving. So that our Father, notice this, in heaven will also forgive our trespasses. I wrote just as a bullet point, unforgiveness makes me unforgivable. I don't want to be in a place where God won't forgive my sins, but unforgiveness puts me in a place like that. I cannot live with unforgiveness and make it to heaven. I just can't do it. The, I mean, it's just that clear. Some people try to work their way around all this, but I just, I mean, I just see what Jesus said there, and I, I fear that. Ooh, I, don't, I do not want unforgiveness in my life. It doesn't matter what it is, what was said, what was done. It may still, it may still hurt me emotionally, right? I may still have some scars in my heart, but I'm not, not going to hold something against someone. Because the point Jesus is making here, he makes this same point in, in Matthew, the book of Matthew. And he actually said in Matthew chapter 5, he said, if you're doing worship to God and you're at the temple and you're bringing a sacrifice like they did in that day and you remember you have something wrong with a brother, you better stop what you're doing. Leave. Leave the sacrifice at the altar. Don't even finish worshiping the Lord in that sacrifice. You leave, go find that person and make it right. Then come back to God so that he'll receive what you've brought to him. And same way in prayer. Oh, I can't, you won't make it. You know, any of these things, the Lord's so merciful. He'll reveal them. If you're, in, if you're praying before the Lord, because he doesn't want you to waste your time. He doesn't want you to get, you know, disgruntled. Well, I don't want the Lord to answer my prayer. Well, hey, there's something here we need to work with. Then we need to get it out and remove it. And unforgiveness is one of those things. All right, next one. 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter verse 3, or chapter 3, verse 7. Laura reads this verse to me every morning. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, verse 7, it says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Notice this last point, that your prayers may not be hindered. And I put broken family relationships because we understand it, it goes both ways. It's a principle that we see here. But uh, in the verse, first six verses, Peter, by the Holy Spirit, is talking about godly wives and how they can have that pervasive spirit that Sarah had with Father Abraham. And then he comes to talk to husbands. But we understand the principle here is prayers are hindered when we have relationships that are 
when we don't honor relationships that God's given us. Now, understand, you can't make someone do something, right? I've always thought, I've said that to other people, you know, if we could make, I told one person, I said, if we could control people, make them do what we wanted to do, the world would be perfect, at least to us, because everyone would do what we want, right? But we can't make people do anything. The only person we actually have control of is the person we look in the mirror, is ourselves. Understand what I'm saying here, but the, the point he's making, the point that Scripture's making is, you honor. Husbands, you honor your wife, man, vice versa. But husbands, you have to honor your wife. You've got to honor your wife as someone, as a treasure vessel that the Lord has given you so that you can grow in grace together. Because if you don't honor that relationship that you've made before God, marriage is a covenant you make before God, here's this promise you've made before the Lord. If you don't honor it, why should I hear your prayers? Prayers will be hindered if we don't keep our relationships right. So under there, my prayers are hindered if I do not honor and respect those that I'm in relationship with. And that's what it comes down to. It's not about what the other person does towards me. It's how did I treat the other person? Whether it's someone as close as your spouse or co, you know, move it on out to friends, co-workers, someone you don't even know at the grocery store, and man, what in the world are they talking to me like that? I'm just trying to get a you know, chicken over here or whatever. We went, gro- we went grocery shopping. We went to the greatest grocery store of all time, Aldi, and Aldi did not have some things we needed, so we went over to Ingalls right across the road. And you always get a little price shock right when you go into Ingalls coming from Aldi. But anyway, but they didn't have much anything either. You know, you probably noticed that lately. The meat especially. Man, the meat was just sparse. No chicken. No chicken in any of these places. We found a li- I think we found one bag of thighs that were frozen, but we were looking for chicken breast. Couldn't find it. Now imagine, you know, your peop- you know someone's in there. You know, it's, it's how I treat other people, not how they treat me. You know, I'm not going to fist fight my way through the frozen section and then come to prayer the next day, you know, in my house, go before the Lord. Lord, I just want you to know I'm bringing my holy self before you. And I gave someone a black eye over the frozen, frozen goods, right? And that's not going to work. It's just not going to work. All right, as we're finishing up here, Ezekiel 14. Ezekiel chapter 14 Verse 3, Ezekiel, he's after the time of Isaiah. We looked at Isaiah and mentioned how he was a prophet to Israel and Judah during their time of judgment coming on them because after so many times God telling them to turn and sending his word, they didn't listen. So judgment had to come. Ezekiel is living during this time of them being judged and he's in captivity with many of the Israelites. And the Lord still, because he loves them, is still sending his word through the prophets to them, telling them, look, this is what you need to do. And one of the things the Lord makes the point to Israel, who's now in judgment and in captivity through Ezekiel, is 14, chapter 14, verse 3. Son of man, these men have set up their idols, notice where they've set them up, in their hearts and put before them that which causes them to stumble into iniquity. Should I let myself be inquired of at all by them? Because they had allowed sin, and particularly the Israelites' problem was, they allowed the sin and worldliness 
and wickedness of nations that surrounded them to creep into their lives. You know, even today, as children of God, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter that we are a holy nation, right? A peculiar people, a royal priesthood set apart to show forth the praises of God that we've been brought out of the darkness into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. We're to be separate and separate, set apart, to be a sign and a wonder to the earth. Israel was the same way. They were to be set apart. They were to look different. But instead of looking different, they started looking the same because they allowed the world to influence them. They allowed all the nations around them to influence their thinking and their thoughts to where they began to add in. Well, you know, we worship Jehovah, but that Syrophoenician God and this Philistine God, they do some other things. That's pretty neat. Uh, and the worship that they do allows us to do things we like, which are sinful, but we can call it worship, and that still sounds holy. So let's add that to our worship. And God said they didn't just set up idols near their temple or in the high places of the hills of Israel and Judah. They set them up in their heart. And really what's in your heart is what gets brought out in your life, right? If it's in your heart, you'll work it out in your life. And that's what God's going to the root of the problem. He's going to the root of the problem, which is it's not that you made this carved image and set it out in front of your home or beside my temple, which I commanded you not to, the reason it ever got here, out here to where we can all see it and touch it, is because it first was in the heart. It was first in the heart. And right under that point of idols, this hindrance of idols, having idols set up, having idols set up the heart, set up in the heart. Uh, okay, so that one, that was a typo. Having idols set up in the heart prevents the Lord from hearing and answering my prayers. Having idols set up in the heart prevents the Lord from hearing and answering my prayers. The Lord said plainly, should I even let them ask me? It's not I won't answer their prayer. It's not I won't hear their prayer. I, they shouldn't even be able to ask me anything. Now last one, Proverbs 21, 13. Proverbs 21, 13. Last one, last hindrance that we're going to see to answered prayer. Not to praying, but to getting an answer. The having results with God. Proverbs 21, 13. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. Whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. If I shut my ears to those who need help, the Lord will not hear my prayers. And I put stinginess here, right? We reap what we sow. And in this area of life, it's compassion. But how can I, if I see and understand, you must do it by wisdom. The Bible's not teaching, you know, you, as the saying goes, you give a drunk a drink. You don't enable people. But what the Bible's saying here, when someone's in need, true need, and I believe the Holy Spirit can show you when that's true and that's real, even lead you to it. Maybe, maybe someone might have not even been you know, asking for something. They, they may keep it to themselves. And the Lord may just say, I want you to bless this person. 
I've had that happen to me. I mean, on all outward appearances, you know, I'm looking, doing fine, looks great. Everything on the outside looks good. But Lord said, hey, I want you to write them a check and bless this person. You know, hey, you never, that, that helps so much. Right? It's something the Lord knew because the Lord sees what's going on on the inside. But if I turn my heart, oh, Lord, they're doing fine. Ah, no, I mean, you know, they got a job too, just like I do. And after all, I got bills. Da, da, da. No, we've been blessed to be a blessing. And it's a reaping of what we sow. If we will reach out in compassion toward others, the Bible actually tells us this. When we help people, it's in Proverbs as well. When we help people that can't help us back, we've actually made a loan to God, and God repays us. When we help people that can't help us, when we do something for someone that can't do it back in return to us, we've actually made, if you will, God the debtor, and God will owe no debt. He will repay. He will bless. But the opposite is also true. If I'll shut myself off, if I, if I won't have that heart of giving like our, our Lord and Savior did, so much that he gave himself, then I shut myself off from, being, from the Lord hearing my prayers. And of course, through all these things, it's for us to be aware, right? To be aware of what could get in our heart. We don't want any of these things in our heart. We don't want any of these hindrances to be between us and God. We want to be so free from any weight and e any easily besetting sin that we can run with endurance, we can run fast, and that we can go before God and we can pray and get an answer. All right, so we'll finish up tonight. Let's pray before we leave tonight. Heavenly Father, I come before you again, Lord. We thank you for the teaching of your word. Lord, I'm thankful for the Holy Spirit that makes these words alive in our heart, Lord God. And that's our prayer, Lord. Let everything that we've studied tonight from your word, your truth, let it sink down deep in our heart. Uh, we don't want any of these hindrances to root in our heart. We want your truth to be rooted in our heart, Lord. So that when we come before you, Lord, at any time, boldly entering into your throne room to pray, to do business with you, to have communication and communion with you, Lord God. We thank you that you hear us, that you, re you receive our prayers, you answer our prayers, you show us great and mighty things, you reveal to us secret things, you lead us and guide us. We thank you. This is your desire for us. We're so thankful for that, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to say thank you for joining me on this episode of Faith for My Generation podcast channel. Please do us a favor. Leave a five-star review. It helps us get this message of the gospel and the word of God out in front of more people. It really does help. And until next time, remember, we are the faithful. God bless.